Holy Spirit, that you would be present with us and give us uh, illumination, open our, open our eyes of our heart and our head so that we can understand this uh, very important passage of Scripture as we've been studying it and will continue to do so. And we pray that you would help us to understand the times in which we live right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I think you would recognize, how many of you are familiar with, uh, there's, a, there's a really popular game, and I've actually never played it because I'm not a gamer, um, at least on videos and stuff. Um, so are you familiar, whether you've played it or not, you've heard of the game of Fortnite? Yeah, it's like some people don't even go to sleep for days because they're playing Fortnite. I think Josh told me one time about a student at Western that they, no one had seen him for days. And they thought he, they were worried about him. He actually had to get a key to go in there into his room, find out the guy had been playing Fortnite for like ever. Um, and he just got so lost in it. Uh, but I, I would tell you, let's just say that we're going to have a, a gathering, uh, a conference for Fortnite. And there's all these people show up for Fortnite. And they're going to maybe have this big conference. And let's compare that to a conference where the night before a real battle. <sighs> night and day. Fortnite, they'll be sitting there talking, what they're going to drink through the night. And like, yeah, I'm going to do Mountain Dew all night or whatever. And the real soldiers are checking their hearts and looking at their pictures of their loved ones. And they're getting to go into real battle. Totally different. Total different scenario. And that's kind of the way different people face spiritual warfare. Some people come and it's like, yeah, that's cool. Let's talk about it. And other people are like, they're all in. It's intense. There's lives on the line. And so which one are you when it comes to spiritual warfare? Are you Fortnite? It's a game. Or are you like real war? It's a serious thing. It's the most serious thing there is on, on earth. So you can kind of see where people are all over the place in this. So that's kind of what we're looking at. We're, we're trying to read our Bible in this passage that's trying to help us wake up and realize we're not, this is not a game. This isn't Fortnite. This is spiritual warfare. And it's intense. And I suspect that most of you would go, oh yeah, of course it is. But I, I really do wonder, do, do we really feel like we're in a real a real war because the Bible says that it is a real war and many of us believe that it is and many of us keep asking God all the time to help us to see more clearly see what's going on to understand this the the intensity of this so you may be familiar that um, most people who travel around the world and do missions would tell you that Western culture we have a hard time with this we have a hard time with the invisible reality. We're all into science and materialism. We think everything can be explained through natural causes or science. But the Eastern culture is much more intense when it comes to spiritual reality. And they don't, they don't limit their um, understanding to, well, all that you see with the eyes is all that that's reality and that there's a, an invisible reality. And Westerners have a hard time because we're, we've been trained to view everything through our, um, through our senses. You can't touch it, taste it, touch it, smell it, 
see it, hear it, it's not real. But there's a, a large part of the world that totally rejects that. Even people that aren't Christians that totally reject that. Um, I don't see Seth here this morning, but Seth Kewen came back from Nepal and he shared his travels uh, climbing on um, Mount Everest. And he said the thing that struck him almost equal to the height of Mount Everest was the height of spiritual intensity that the people of Nepal feel. They're not Christian. But everything they do is built around their understanding, their worldview, that there is a spiritual reality. So that's kind of where we are. And so I just kind of want to, I want to know what you think. What do you think? Is this Fortnite? Are we doing Fortnite here at church? Is this Fortnite? It's the game. Come, let's sing. Let's, um, there's nothing wrong with coffee, but let's have our coffee. Let's sing. Let's feel good about each other. And let's just go live our lives. Or is this bloody war? I guess I'm asking how much has Western culture influenced your Christianity? Is your Christianity this book? Or is it um, a watered-down version of this book? There's, there's something in called demythologization and there's a group of people usually liberal scholars and they they demythologize they they believe the bible was full of myth and so they take the myth out and what you have left is this um, gooey warm feeling thing that says it's just all about love and it it totally destroys the integrity of the word of god and it waters it down to nothing and that's what I oppose, and I don't want us to do that. And I don't know how much you've been influenced. I've been influenced by it. And I don't even realize how much I've been influenced by it until I really start to dig into this word and people push me and challenge me to check my view to see, wow, I didn't realize I've been influenced so much by our culture. And when I come to the word of God, the lens I put on my eyes is American Christianity. It's impacted me more than I realize. And I have a feeling it's impacted you more than you've realized. So we're ever asking God to open our eyes and take the blinders in any area of our lives where we're not functioning in a, a biblical worldview. So that's our challenge today. So um, I, I, I think my, my original sermon title was really clever. It's like Spiritual Warfare Part 3. Um. But what, I, what this really is, is I just want to talk about this present darkness and in this, out of this passage. I want to talk about this present darkness. And I can't, I can't possibly cover everything I'd like to, but I hopefully will get to enough that maybe you'll begin to feel like there's more to this than we are aware of and maybe more to it than you, you thought of. So I, I just want to begin by saying... Uh, Real Christianity takes the Bible seriously. Just takes the Bible seriously. That's our starting point. A lot of people want to fit under the tent of Christianity. Uh, Christianity is this giant tent, and a lot of people want to fit under it. And so I want to just kind of tell you some different groups that try to fit under there. I've, I've already mentioned uh, liberalism. Liberalism tries to fit under there, but it doesn't fit because they undermine the integrity of the Bible. They don't even believe in the Bible, and that's not. That doesn't fit under the 
the real tent of Christianity. And then you have legalism. It's people who will thump you on the head with this thing. And they will preach and stand up and shout and scream. But what they're really promoting is moralism. They're telling you their legalism. It's like, don't do this and don't do that. We got a lot of that here in these mountains. There's a lot of people who stand up and preach the Bible and yell at you and scream at you, but what they're really teaching is legalism. You need to do this and this law and this, and it's all about you walking this tight, narrow line of Christianity, and the gospel gets lost in there, and they focus on your righteousness, not Christ's righteousness. You got to do better. Cut your hair this length and do this and do that and do that and don't do this. And it's all about rules. But it's not fit under the tent of Christianity. Christianity is not about how good you can be. It's about how good Christ is. And don't ever mess those two things. Those don't mix. They are opposites. But there's a lot of people who fit under the... the they memorize a lot of Bible verses and they take the Bible very seriously. It's just they don't understand the most essential point. It's that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, then there's another group that um, may be mainstreamers. They're just mainstreamers. They just fit well in mainstream Christianity and they listen to all the praise music and they write all the, read all the common books and, and they're pretty popular. But there's, there's something, but they're, they tend to go with the wind like giant churches with incredible musicians and their musicians are world famous and they write albums and they're, it's fun to go there and, and they talk about sin and they talk about stuff like that and they, on, the, on the outer facade it looks very good and they have popular books and they're very popular and they get involved in many different things and they have uh, uh, a first glance of being like, man, look at them go. But if you'll not watch, they're never too far from where the culture is. And there's a lot of people waffling right now on very important biblical issues like pro-life and transgender and marriage and they're just waffling all over the place. They're so inclusive and they don't want their brand messed up and so they back away and they shy away from saying what needs to be said. They're just mainstream. That's more important to them than them following this book and they really don't fit under the tent and then we have those who are just, I kind of referred to them last week, and they're just, they're, they're intellectual, they're very heady theologians, and so they, they, they actually understand the gospel correctly. They actually can enumerate, preach the gospel, claim the gospel. Um, they're very committed to the Bible, its integrity, its inerrancy, infallibility. They're, they're here. They study the Word of God a lot, but somehow their explanations of Christianity still seem somewhat void of the supernatural it's like they're there their books are good they're orthodox they're, you can't argue with what they're saying but sometimes it's what they're not saying and they're, they're, they'll argue with you intellectually they'll exegete they will take the Bible and study it for. they write commentaries but somehow I, don't, I, feel like, I still feel like I'm playing Fortnite and there's a difference. It's got it. It doesn't. Christianity is not up here, just in the head. It's got to drop down into the heart, and it should feel intense, real intense. And then there's another group 
and, and they're actually in the tent. But they're the ones that just mess up. They're the ones that just mess up. And they struggle with their sin and they're not being careful and they're not really attentive to the battles around them and they, they get lazy in their Christian life and many of us have been hurt by people and they just fall into sin and they're like going, man, because they're casualties, they're real casualties in this war. And some of them are actually very genuine Christian believers, but no one made them feel like this war was intense as it was and they weren't guarding their hearts and they weren't putting on the armor of God and they're out there doing battle but they just may be a bit naive. And I think a lot of us fit there. I, I fit there a lot but that's just basically the rest of us because none of us can do this perfectly. So we come back to the Bible and then it says, all scripture is breathed out by God. That's our, our conviction, okay? That's, that's what belongs under the tent. That this book is breathed out by God for teaching, correcting, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So this is our manual, okay? And we, we believe it. And there's a lot of us in this who are real Christians we still have a lot to learn and we need everything that Paul is writing in this letter. Okay, real Christianity takes the Bible seriously. Second, it's important that you know what's going on behind the scenes. Um, according to Paul, that what, there's something going on behind the scenes in the invisible realm. And First of all, God is behind the scenes. If you believe in God, then you believe in the invisible realm. God's not always visible. He's not visible to us, in, at least in terms of, I've never, I'm, I've never been, con, I'm not convinced that I've ever had a physical in, encounter with God. I've had a very, I've had many spiritual encounters, but I, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen God. I don't think I've, I've not seen Jesus. But I believe in him, and I believe in this book, which also tells me that we need to put on the armor of God because there's someone other than God. And to stand against the schemes of that someone, and that someone is the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, or not only flesh and blood, but against, there's another realm, and it involves rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness. Describes the world we live in and the time we live in as this present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And then he talks about flaming arrows of the, the devil. And so it's a very real realm that involves schemes and cosmic powers, darkness, spiritual, deep spiritual darkness. It involves rulers, authorities, dangerous weapons like flaming arrows. Um, I have a book and I'm going to read. I, I owe a lot to what I want to say today. There are so many books and I just sometimes I read them and go, oh man, I want to say this, I want to say that, I want to share this, share that. And I, I came across this book and the reason, the reason I'm using this particular book, I could have picked up at least 20 books and said some of the things that I want to say, but I'm, I'm using this book in particular because it's pretty, 
well respected. The source is pretty well respected. Um, if you've been a Christian for very long, if you're a younger Christian, you might not have heard about it because this institution might not have the same prominence it did in earlier days. But if you've been around the block a bit, you've probably heard of Moody Bible Institute. Um, I, I don't think anyone would go, oh yeah, they're raving crazy people. Most people would say, yeah, you generally get really solid stuff from there. And the reason I picked that is because some of you wouldn't like some of the books I'm reading and you would dismiss them immediately before I even say some of the things I want to say. So uh, there's a pretty broad swath of people speaking to the issues that I want to address this morning. But I, I want to read, read out of this particular book a couple of things. It's, um, this book is called, it's called a one-volume seminary. And it's uh, a complete ministry education from the faculty of Moody Bible Institute and Moody Theological Seminary. So they put a bunch of articles in here by their theologians, their scholars, those who people who train in the Bible college and people train people for ministry. And one of the topics they felt was pretty important was spiritual warfare. And the, the guy that they picked to write this particular chapter, his name is Samuel Naaman, and he grew up in um, Pakistan became a Christian in Pakistan, and then pretty um, intense guy, very theologically sound. And I just want to share some things from this chapter. And I, I thought about trying to restate them, re-say them. I thought, why don't I just read it? Whether acknowledged or not, a real spiritual battle is raging. Many people are held in bondage as their lives and livelihood are destroyed by evil forces that prowl around seeking someone to devour, 1 Peter 5.8. Those who engage this spirit world, either out of curiosity or as an integral part of life, acknowledge that there is power in the spirit world. But they naively believe this power is neutral. In exchange for power, people end up tormented by these spirits. And yet God provides a way of escape, a Savior who set us free from the power um, hold of Satan. The biblical presentation of the spirit world includes angels, both good and evil. Good angels are spirits, supernatural, celestial beings whose mission is to serve God and His people. Hebrews 1.14 asks, Are not angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Evil angels consist of Satan and his angels. The Hebrew word for Satan, which means opposer or adversary, and devil from the Greek word diabolos, are used interchangeably in the New Testament. These evil angels proved unfaithful and were driven out of heaven they are called demons or evil spirits, Luke 10, 17, 20. And in the end will be cast into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, Matthew 25, 14. Okay, that's just the beginning. I've got more I want to read out of this book, but that just kind of sets the stage. But before I read some more, I just want to draw some things out. The world where we live is the battleground between God and Satan. What started in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, and will end in the battle of Armageddon in Revelation 16. Satan brought the great rebellion 
from heaven to earth. And you hear me talk about the Great Rebellion. That's just a, what I, I, I call it. And so it began in the Garden of Eden and it'll end in the Battle of Armageddon. It's like Bible-wide, one into the other, okay? And so Paul calls what we're in, this present darkness, and says that we are living in the evil day and that Satan and his warriors are constantly shooting flaming arrows at us in order to take us out. And you and I are living in this present darkness. Jesus came into the world to bring light into this present darkness. And according to the Bible, the world is a dark place. So I just want to mention a few references. And if you're note-taking, you can go back and study these. But if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, 1 to 3... The same book we're in, we're in Ephesians 6, Ephesians 2, in the same book, Paul describes what we used to be, and we were walking in the course of this world, following this wicked world, and following the prince of the air. So we were like, everyone comes into this world, and our first path is that we're walking according to this world system, and we have to be rescued. The gospel is... The gospel isn't do better. The gospel is get saved. We need to be saved from the path we're on. And in Ephesians 2, it says that we were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world like everybody else, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, just following our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, driven by our appetites and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That, that's the status in this dark world. In Job chapter 1, we meet Job, and God informs us that... Um, he invites us behind the curtain to hear an exchange between, Joe, between God and Satan. And God says to Satan, um, where have you been? And Satan says, uh, walking all around the world. I've been going everywhere. Plotting, working, scheming. Everywhere. You think he's still doing that? Okay, all right. Um... In 1 Peter 5.8 it says he, the one who's walking around the world everywhere, in 1 Peter 5.8 it says that he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to devour people. He's going everywhere. He's in Silva to devour people. He's coming after you. He's coming after your kids. Those precious kids down that hallway, he's seeking to devour them. He's not messing around. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we have this story where God allows Elijah and his servant, he, he lifts a veil from their eyes and they see the hills full of soldiers, spiritual soldiers. They're there. Do you think they're not there anymore? Do you think they're like just a, this is like a story and they, those soldiers are like retired now and they've moved to a vacation spot. They're not in the battle anymore. No, these soldiers are e eternal soldiers. These angel beings of God are in this world right now and they're still engaged. They're still engaged. We just don't see them. But they're there. It's important that you understand. This is what the Bible is saying. They're there. Satan is still walking around the earth 
and there are demonic forces and powers that are still doing his business and there are angels, good angels, who did not sin in the great rebellion and they're faithful to God and they're working. And they're here, they're in these hills. They're everywhere. It's reality for a biblical worldview. And there's a story in, Dan in, in Daniel chapter 10 where Daniel prayed to God and he had to wait 21 days for an answer. Not because God wasn't hearing, but because the one that God sent to answer him, the messenger of God, had to fight with the king of the prince of Persia, which is a spiritual entity, like a heavenly warlord over the area of Persia. A spiritual warlord that the spiritual leader sent by God had to do business with battle with the spiritual warlord over Persia to get to Daniel, who was in the Persian Empire at that time. And so there was a spiritual war taking place that affected Daniel's prayer. God sent him, but he had to fight this real war. And so maybe sometimes the reason our prayers aren't being answered when we think is maybe there's a war going on and God's in control. God wasn't freaking out. God wasn't fretting and go, oh no, what if he doesn't get there? He was going to get there, but he had to fight. He had to fight to get there. And then in 1 John 2.15, we are told about the basic strategy of Satan. His basic strategy is to get you to love this world more than you love the one who made the world. 1 John 2.15-17 talks about worldliness and the love of this world. And that we love this world so very much. And God says, well, if you love this world so much, then you don't love me. And that's all Satan has to do is get you to love this world more than you love God. Is he good at it? You think he's good at it? You think that describes Ephesians 2 and most of the people in the world, that they're just, this world is just like all that they're after, that's what they want. They don't get this, they try another, their strategy, they just keep going. Have you done that? Have you, have you loved this world? Have you about worn yourself out trying to figure out that it was a lie before you saw the light? That until you saw the light, you kind of thought this is what is out there and I'm going to chase the world like I want, I want all the things the world has to offer. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you do that? That's what everyone's telling you to do. That's what Satan's telling you. Until you actually see the light that there's something that this world, that this world is temporal, why would you do anything else? Because you wouldn't know to do anything else. And then in John 8, 44, it says that Satan is a liar, the father of lies. So we're being lied to every day, folks. Every day we're being lied to. Okay, does that kind of help you see the present darkness? Um, Jesus came into the world to engage and defeat Satan. That's number four. Jesus came into this world to engage and defeat Satan. I'm, I'm just going to I'm just gonna quote part of this one verse. 1 John 3, 8. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That's what he's doing. That's his business. Aren't you glad? Praise God. Aren't you glad it's not up to me? I'm so glad it's not up to you. Man, praise God that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And guess what? Guess what he's doing? He's doing it. Satan is already defeated, but he's not completed his destruction of Satan's great rebellion 
Satan is defeated. He defeated him at the cross and he defeated him when he rose from the dead. Satan is defeated. But he's not been completely taken out yet. We're in, we're in this phase. The last days from the time that Jesus ascended victoriously until Jesus returns victoriously. And Satan's got this last run. He's on his last run. His last stretch. Somewhere. And I kind of think, I've said it many times, I feel like we're about here. Um, but that's what Jesus came to do. And that's why we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's because he has done it. We are fellowshipping victoriously at the Lord's table. That's what we get to do. And so everything that has happened, now this is the part that's going to challenge you. Everything that has happening is happening. At least in terms of spiritual equipment, strategies. Everything that has happened is happening. See, that's the difference where some people as Christians don't believe that. Some people go, oh no, that, that used to happen. Satan doesn't do that anymore. What? What? Who told him he couldn't do that anymore? Did God? That's at the end. So many people say, "Well, you know, demons are kind of like they were super active when Jesus wasn't around, but that's because Jesus stirred them up. But they're not really demons. Aren't really a thing now. How did they not become a thing? How did Satan get so calm?" Why, why did he put his little red horns away? And he's now just a, a, a cow, maybe. No. Everything that has happened is happening. The world is still dark. Satan is still going all over the world. Demons are still carrying out Lucifer's commands. The prince of Persia is still fighting Michael. Demons are entering people. Jesus is casting out demons. Miracles are happening. And counterfeit miracles are still happening. So... I want to um, I want to just read a few things back to my 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 book here, and I want to just describe to you from this author, and he's gonna he's gonna bother some of you. You're gonna you're not gonna like what he said. You're gonna go. I don't know if I believe that or not. That's your choice. I'm just telling you what this guy wrote and what he has seen. He speaks of a. He says this. He's talking about spiritual. When we are taking back territory from Satan, much manifestations of evil will occur. When we're taking back Satan's territory, it awakens the dragon. And that's when you'll see stuff. You won't see stuff when you're like going, oh, nothing's really going on. He likes that. Then all you have to do, all he has to do is convince you to love this world. But you start going after his territory, then he starts breathing fire. And that's what spiritual warfare is about. He says, this reminds me of an incident I experienced in Pakistan. Our family was on vacation in uh, Quetta, whatever. As was our custom, we attended daily revival meetings. One evening, this sister was um, leading worship. As she prepared to speak, a woman, a woman, a nominal Christian, began screaming and foaming at the mouth. Everyone was frightened by the commotion when this woman suddenly levitated off her seat and flew through the air about 15 feet to where this sister was standing. This is, this is a joke, right? This is just a joke. We don't talk like that. That stuff, no, that stuff doesn't happen. No, we're Webster Baptists. We're Baptists. Oh, Pentecostals talk like that. We don't. You can do what you want to with it. 
But according to this guy, and he put it in a book for the whole faculty of Moody Institute to question and for all the world who are interested in maybe getting an education through Moody, like it, he's throwing it out there. And he says, you can go somewhere else if you don't believe in this stuff, but we believe in this stuff. Well, then he goes on and talks about how God worked and um, how she was delivered, this person was delivered. Um, okay, spiritual warfare can be manifested in the physical realm. All right, hold, hold on, put your seatbelt on. With flying objects, rattling doors, other such displays of unexplained phenomena which seek to interfere, intimidate, or instigate fear through, though Christians from Western cultures might not see such a blunt incident of demonic activity, we need to be aware of its subtlety. My father was once taking an American pastor out for evangelistic meetings in Pakistan. God was blessing this ministry, and many formerly nominal Christians gave their lives fully to the Lord. One night around 3 a.m., my father awoke at the sound of the front door rattling. At first, he thought it was his helper with some urgent message. He called the man's name, but received no response. The rattling intensified, but now was accompanied by strange noises. The Lord impressed upon my father that this was a spiritual attack. My father knelt and extended his hands toward the door and began to pray loudly and quote script. By this time, the American pastor was wide awake. <laughs> Wonder why. My father looked at him and said, We are being attacked by Satan. He does not want our ministry to be fruitful. Not knowing what else to do, the pastor started to pray for my father by placing his hands on him. My father commanded Satan, Leave us alone. You have no power over us. We command you in the name of the Lord Jesus to leave this place. We belong to him. After an intense time of prayer, the door stopped rattling, the noises ceased, and they knew the battle was over. They both prayed and thanked God and then went to sleep. For this American pastor, it was the first time encountering spiritual warfare and the victory in the name of Jesus. This does not only happen, this does not only happen in other countries. Those doing ministry in areas where darkness reigns will encounter spiritual warfare. My colleague, Dr. Roy uh, Oxnavod did pioneer church planning in Hoboken, New Jersey in the 1980s. One night he was unable to breathe as if someone were choking him. His roommate woke from a deep sleep and felt an evil presence in the room. Not knowing what else to do, he immediately began pleading the blood of Jesus over the situation and rebuking Satan, commanding him to leave. Finally, my colleague was released from the chokehold. They discussed what happened just what had just happened and then prayed together. We can draw several point principles from these illustrations. First, whenever you seek to bring light in an area that has long been kept in darkness by Satan, there will be outright spiritual warfare. Satan does not readily relinquish his territory without a fight. Next, we remember Christ has already defeated Satan and his demons by the cross and the resurrection. And then let me read this one last section. And now he talks about freedom from spiritual bondage. We must remember that no how, how matter intense the battle, Jesus has already conquered Satan and his evil forces. We also see the reality of spiritual warfare in the ministry of the early church. Jesus established in the wake of his departure to continue his missions and shine the light of the gospel in the midst of darkness. One example was found when Paul and Silas were church planning. They came across a slave woman who had a spirit and she could predict the f future. 
in this case the evil spirit in her recognized that these men were servants of the Most High God, knowing that this knowledge originated from an evil spirit, Paul commanded the spirit to come out of her. As a result, she lost her ability to predict the future, and her masters were furious at losing their source of income. Um, a dimension of spiritual warfare is to set people free from their bondage to evil spirits. Objects such as religious artifacts, charms, amulets used to ward off demonic spirits are likely not as familiar to those in Western cultures as in other parts of the world. However, when we minister to people from different religious backgrounds, we need to consider their spiritual heritage and practices. We must address potential spiritual bondage that individuals bring from their Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, ancestral, folk, or other religious backgrounds. People do not get involved in these activities because they are ignorant or uneducated, but because their worldview includes manipulation of the spirit world. They have no other alternatives for protection for the unseen world than through the use of fetishes, charms, and rituals. When people do come to know Christ, it is important to address the bondage that these religious symbols create in their lives. Unless these artifacts are renounced and destroyed, thereby setting the person free from their power, these objects will hinder the spiritual growth and life of the new believer. These objects and corresponding practices are not neutral. That is why those practiced, who practice sorcery burn their scrolls publicly, Acts 19, 19-20, the early church knew this, so as part of their baptism ritual included a renouncing of Satan and all his works. The destruction of high places, ritual sites, ritual objects, and altars were also a part of God's command in the Old Testament, along with explicit commands against sorcery, divination, or the consulting of spiritual mediums for spiritual guidance. Okay, so I've walked into the realm of the unknown. by reading this book, okay? So I just want to say um, there's, there's more that we're going to be talking about, and I just kind of want to talk. There's two things I want to say. Um, that we, we need to talk about this more candidly, and we need to have real conversations about this. And we also need not be afraid of Satan because we have victory. The whole thing we're getting ready to do is celebrate Christ's victory when we come to the Lord's Supper. It's a celebration of the victory of Christ. We're going to be looking at some things that might make some of you uncomfortable. And one of the questions I just want to ask to begin with is why? Why would that make you uncomfortable? Are you reading this book? It's intense. It's intense. Christianity is intense. And Satan has power, but he is no match for our Lord and our King. We're here to celebrate our King. And now that we know that, how about let's go forward in his name? Let's do that, okay? So I just want to I just want to pray, and now we're going to um, come to the Lord's Supper. But I want to tell you how we get to come to this supper. If our let me go ahead and, and maybe ask our our musicians to come up because they they're going to play as we 
do the Lord's Supper. And can I um, tell you, we have two options up here. And all the options, well, no. Um, we have a, the, the bread is um, gluten-free, okay? We just thought, let's just do gluten-free bread in case anyone, that's physically an issue for someone. And then the little wafers, the little cups, if, if someone would prefer the little cups, they're totally contained and you just come and pick up a little cup and you take the top off and it has a little wafer in it and it has the um, grape juice in the bottom. But let me, let me just say as we come to this, um, now that's out of your mind, okay? You're not worried about gluten-free right now. We settled that part. Now what we're worried about is, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Do you get to come to his table? Have you been rescued from Satan and his strategies and his schemes? And you're, you're on to him. You're on to him? We're on to you, you devil. We're on to you. We know what you're up to. And we come in the name of Jesus. That's, that's us. We're, part, we're Christians, Christ ones, in the name of Jesus. We have been invited in the name of Jesus to come sit and celebrate our Lord Jesus. And so that's, that's how we're concluding. We're, we're concluding that Jesus Christ has defeated our enemy, and so we do everything now in His name. And so I just kind of want you to... I, I, the, it would bother me immensely if someone left here going, that devil is a terrible foe. I'd rather someone go leave here going, that devil is no match for my Jesus. Okay, that's how we leave. That devil cannot defeat me because I am in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, my friend, get there as fast as you know how. And that is by calling on the name of the Lord. Do you know, if you're not a Christian, you could call on the name of the Lord and come enjoy fellowship with Him right here, right now. The table of fellowship is open to you in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. And the symbol of that is this body is this bread which symbolizes His body, which was given for you, poured out for you. And the bread symbolizes His body and the suffering that He went through and died for you. And we're remembering Christ until He returns. And the only way He can return if He's alive. He is alive and risen from the dead. We are celebrating our King who reigns supremely. Okay? You with me? And praise God, okay? We're going to stand. Please stand and we're going to sing and begin to make your way up here to the table. I'm going to pray and I'd like for those who are going to be helping distribute the elements to come forward. And we're going to pray, Lord God, we lift up the name of Jesus, the name that is above every other name. And we confess that He is our hope. Our hope is not in our righteousness. Our righteousness is filthy rags. It is the righteousness of Jesus that defeated Satan. Thank you, Lord God, that by your blood we are set free and we celebrate that today. Oh, Lord, make us aware to the strategies of the enemies 
and teach us to clothe ourselves in the righteousness of Christ and in the whole armor of God. We pray in the blessed name of Jesus and all God's people said,